listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Jared Korea. I normally host the Legal Toolkit podcast, but I'm here today in New York in Times Square for Above the Law's Academy for Private Practice, the first one. I'm here with Ellie Mistal from Above the Law. Hi, guys. I'm coming to you from an illegal cockfight in the south of the Bronx, apparently. I was not at the same cockfight. Surprising. My chick won. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank I, you. I bet on yours. Thank you. Now, apropos of nothing, joining me now, I have Heather John of Lago, Susan Cartier-Liebel of Solo Practice University, and late to the party, but still invited, Josh Lennon from Clio. Before we get started, we'd like to learn more about you for the benefit of our audience. So where do you folks work? What do you like to do? And tell us how to find out more information about you. Let's start with Heather. Tell us about Lago. Okay. <laughs> and you. It's, it's noisy in here. Lago is, uh, is a company that I launched a year ago. Um, I'm an attorney. Uh, my background, I started a large firm and then uh, ran a practice as a solo and then small practitioner for several years. I started Lago a year ago as a platform for solo and small practice attorneys that basically does everything except for practice law. So we acquire the clients, we hand them to you, and we help you do your work more efficiently. Very good. That was very succinct. Susan, let's hear about you and Solo Practice University. Well, I like slow walks on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm Susan Cartier-Liebel, and I'm the founder and CEO of Solo Practice University. It's the only online professional and educational networking site for lawyers and law students who want to go out on their own. We call it the Practice of Law School. And uh, today it was great to be here because we were talking about a topic that was very exciting. It was about branded networks, what they are, how you fit into the ecosystem, and why lawyers need to be participating. Susan is great because she doesn't charge you three years and $300,000 to attend her university. No, no, we're very economical. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you have to go to law school first. That's the only drawback. But you can eventually get into SPU. Always a catch. (laughs) (laughs) So last but not least, we have Josh Lennon from Clio. So Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about Clio. Hi, so I'm Josh Lennon. I'm Clio's lawyer in residence. That means that I I help the largest cloud-based practice management provider with legal scholarship, legal research, uh, and I've been told I'm actually Clio's pretty boy who travels around (laughs) uh, selling a great system to the lawyers. Thanks, Josh. Somehow, Ellie got a beer. Somebody needs to beer me. What do you mean, somehow? Yeah, I need a beer, too. I demanded one. I really do. I know. I'm looking for water. What can I do? So we're going to start with Heather and Susan, who just got done talking about branded networks. Um, So, Susan, let me start with you. Can you tell us what is a branded network? Well, it's a very interesting topic because branded networks, some call them branded platforms, but the fact is they are probably the only true disruption that is coming to the industry. Um, Branded Network is basically a company that has created a single brand around their products and services, and they're marketed direct to the consumer. So it's often abbreviated D to C. And the reason that I say it's a true disruption is because a lot of people turn around and bandy the word disruption, but I don't know that they necessarily know what it means. So I like to use the analogy of the car. So what you have is... When the first car came out in 1910 or whatever, and you saw on New York City streets, you saw the horse and buggies and the boop, and you saw the bicycles, and you saw people walking, and then you saw the car. The car was the invention. That was really what it was about. It was an invention, and it was also something for the elite. 
what happened, Henry Ford turned around and he created the innovation, which was the assembly line. But the innovation wasn't the disruption. The disruption came when you turned around and the price of the car got reduced and making it available to the masses. Mm -hmm. And that itself wasn't the disruption either. It was when there was a full adoption by the population and the masses, taking that car to them, their homes, everybody having them, that was a disruption because it changed transportation forever. And I kind of liken the branded networks to the car industry and the disruption is going to be, and we're starting to go there with all the half a billion dollars in VC flowing into the branded networks, we're going to start seeing the adoption of clients going through these vehicles. And when that fully takes hold, that's the disruption. So that we were talking about branded networks along those lines. So then who, who's the buggy in this horrible <laughs> death analogy? <laughs> <laughs> the, the buggy, I think it's going to be people turning around and advertising uh, in the local papers to get their clients. Um, they're not going to be able to compete. The horse is not going to be able to compete with the car. Oh, newspapers are the buggy. Well, <laughs> Lord knows I believe in that. The yellow pages. The yellow pages are the buggies. I thought lawyers were under the buggy, so this is a little bit more uplifting than I originally thought. <laughs> I remember when I bought my first Model T. Those were heady days. <laughs> So let's move to Heather. So Heather, let me ask you, why would an attorney join a branded network? Right, so it's a pretty simple answer, and the answer is that you join a branded network in order to get more clients. It's a channel where you can pick up more clients and make more revenue. It's uh, pretty straightforward. You know what, Heather, no, on top of that, what's really important about that, what you just said, is with the money that's coming in, if they don't get seen on these, what I call fishing trawlers sweeping the ocean, if they don't get seen, they're going to get bypassed for revenue for their practices. And I think that's a big part of it, a big part of being associated in some capacity with the right branded network for what works for your firm and in the, and in the amount of time and, and allocation that's important to them. Is there any prestige whoring with these branded networks? Is there, is there like the Harvard of branded networks versus the... You know what? It's very interesting. It is like law school. There are some people that will only go to Harvard, but that doesn't mean you're not going to get a great education elsewhere. But I think right now, what's happening with the branded networks, the ones that have the cachet, are the ones that are turning around and being able to tout the amount of money that's getting invested in them. It's kind of like a, look who believes in us, and we've got the money to really push you forward. I don't know that that's always going to be the case, but right now, it's like, whoa, this money's coming in. Yeah, I would say it's 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 who's being financed, but it's also who's getting traction. At the end of the day, you know, the, the, I've talked with dozens and dozens of attorneys who are on you know three or four different platforms, and it's the platforms that are delivering clients, which are you know which those are the platforms that that are considered maybe the Harvard of, of platforms. I'm sorry, I was getting a beer. What did I miss? <laughs> Apparently, uh, young lawyers can't pull clients in off the street anymore by like putting a pothole out in front of their uh, <laughs> storefront. So now we need branded networks. Oh yes, it's yeah. a hard life. And actually, uh. um, what's really exciting about branded networks right now, specifically the platforms, you know, UpCounsel, Lago, Priori, um, Legal Hero, is is they're still it's still fairly young and they're growing really quickly. So the attorneys get in on the ground floor, tend to build a profile and get up higher in the search results. And uh, if you can get in early and build a relationship with that company early on, uh, you really stand to benefit in the long term. So the early adopters here, um, it pays off. It's a little bit pyramidy, but uh, I'm still with you. <laughs> it's just one massive pyramid scheme. That's the that's the that's the whole thing. 
Well, I come from Big Law, which is nothing but one massive pyramid scheme. <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. So, Susan, let me ask you, if you're an attorney thinking about joining a branded network, how would you vet that branded network? Well, uh, there's a lot of questions that I would ask, but I think the most important mindset that you have to have is they need you. They need lawyers in order to survive. They can't just gather clients and not have lawyers to service them. So you should not go in with the mindset that you don't have something to offer, that you're in a begging position. And you also have your reputation to consider. You have to realize that there are many branded networks starting up. There's a handful of heroes and a lot of zeros, and you've got to make sure who you associate with. So the kinds of questions you need to ask is, you know, how long they've been around? You know, how heavily financed are they? Have they pivoted from their original mission? Who handles malpractice? What, you know, how do they guarantee your fees? How do they collect fees from the client? Is it ethical? Does it work in your jurisdiction? Do they popularize your area? You don't want to associate with someone that doesn't have clients in your area. Yeah. Um, do they, if joining them, are you precluded from joining others? And generally that's not the case. But, you know, are they financed? Do they have any lawsuits against them that you need to know about? So, you know, what's their security? Who, who retains the client's information? You know, all of these things that go back to your ethical responsibilities and confidentiality. Do they have an infrastructure to support you which allows you to do the work instead of worrying about how am I going to collect money? And another interesting thing, a lot of these platforms are guaranteeing payment up to a certain point. Um, one firm doesn't even you know, cap it. If you've earned those fees, they will guarantee all your fees. Another one will cap it at $5,000. So you don't have to go chasing clients that you get from these platforms. So there's a very positive association with the right platform if it works for you. And that's the important thing, it has to work for you. So there's a lot of questions you have to actually ask yourself before you approach these platforms. This sounds a lot like choosing a dating app, right? Like, it is, it is. They're legal Tinder dating Tinder isn't sites. for everybody. <laughs> Tinder legal. And yeah. there's still something to be said for the long personality quiz of the eHarmonies of the world. Sorry, I was just going to say, yeah, it depends what you're looking for, too. So it's, it's really important as an attorney to ask what kind of clients you're going to be getting from the platform. Rich ones. Well, that's what's the best client? A pulse with money. Someone made that joke today I was talking to. But, you know, is it a platform attorney where they have clients who want an attorney with 30 years of experience? Or are you always going to be priced out by, you know, attorneys at five years you know, billing at $200 an hour? So that's it's a really important question. And clearly you want to make sure that the branded network is protecting your data better than Ashley Madison would be. <laughs> um, so I think it. I can protect your data better than Ashley Madison would be. <laughs> So Heather, let's end on this note. So what's the future for branded networks in legal, in your mind? Right, so just the way that we've seen mergers happening in big law and big firms getting bigger, uh, what you're seeing right now, especially in the last few years, is platforms arising, which are not law firms, which are sort of organizing what's effectively um, a mom and pop industry, you know, you know, a few lawyers, small practices, and organizing them into you know, what we're calling platforms. And uh, I think it's going to be difficult for platforms that are very narrow to survive um, because, you know, it ultimately comes, it's, it's a race for market share. It's sort of the Wild West. Who can raise the most money, get all the market share, and build their brand and sort of own the market and max out SEO. So I think you're going to see um, a few big players win, um, a few big names win. And I also think that um, it will be full service platforms. I think it's, it's, it's too hard to get the market share you need as a narrow platform. Great, thank you. So Susan from Solo Practice University, she's ready to leave. 
So I'm going to let you do one more plug for SPU and then you can get out of here. <laughs> Thank you, Jared. And by the way, it was a great panel. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Jared. I think there was a lot of great information shared. I agree. It's been a great conference so far. And I still haven't gotten a beer. This is whack. <laughs> At this point, I feel like there's a conspiracy against me. Heather, do you want to stick around? I'd love to stick around, sure. All right. Now we got our guy, Josh Lennon from Clio. Wait, Hi. wait, can I get a beer if I stick around? I'm, I'm still waiting. The host gets a beer first. Dude, I'm above the law. I get the beer. I'm below the law. Oh, there oh, you go. Josh, has, Josh has a beer. Here. This is okay. not good. Um, My readers expect me to have a beer. <laughs> All right, Josh, so you just talked about technology tools in your presentation. Yes, yes, Heather's I did. going to stick around with us, so we'll give her I one am. more plug for Lago as Wait, well. You know, um, we've known each other for years, actually. Really? Yeah, How so? We're, we're Before our Clio and Lago days, yep. Heather was the founder of a meetup group in Toronto called the Gutsy Lawyers. It was all about solo lawyers coming together, mentoring each other, helping each other out. And it was one of my entry now points. It really does sound like Tinder. Into the Toronto <laughs> it's legal a lot scene. Like this conference, actually. <laughs> they just get together and they're very nice to each other. It's a Canadian <laughs> meetup group. <laughs> so, we've, yeah, we've known each other for, for many for years now. For a long now. time, yeah, yeah. Like six years. Canadians, what are you going to do? Hey, um, hey. Americans <laughs> and Canadians, thank yeah. you very much. Well, I love Brian Adams. <laughs> all right. So, Josh, you talked about tech integration in yes. your presentation. So let's talk, first of all, I think this is a question for a lot of solo and small firm attorneys, because they don't want to get locked into a system. So when do you start integrating tech into your practice? My partners at Clear are going to kill me, but I don't think you need to run out and buy the shiniest tech out there to be a good lawyer. You need to have tech that allows you to do two things, and one is minimize and avoid risk associated with the tools that you're using. Uh, and so an example of that is you can't use Windows XP anymore. You can't use Internet Explorer anymore. They're no longer supported systems, and they're going to have holes that emerge in them. So you're going to need to integrate replacements for those. So minimize risk. The second time you need to integrate tech is to meet a minimum standard of competency. So a lot of states right now are really kind of building into their rules the idea yeah that you have to understand technology to be a competent lawyer. And the strongest example we've seen out of that right now is an opinion out of California that's saying, if you are a litigator, you have to be good at e-discovery. And they have nine components that you have to know and be able to either do yourself or recognize the quality of an expert doing that work for you. How are they enforcing those rules? I mean, it's not like this stuff is on the bar exam. No, our, but it our will national be. national minimum competency exam. It I will be. It as caning, we right? diversify Caning's as an industry, there's going to be an e-discovery license out there, and you'll have to know how to pass that. So those are two kind of warning signs of when you need to integrate technology. So I'm not saying go out and buy shiny tech. I'm saying make sure you hit those two notes. You've closed the risk. You're minimally competent. Now from there, I think there are a whole bunch of other issues you can weigh upon your technology, including how to pick technology that will last you for kind of 10 to 20 years. And that's something that I don't think we're discussing as an industry enough right now. You're going to be getting a lot of nasty notes from people written on WordPerfect. I just hope you know that. <laughs> the New York State Court's website still provides forms in WordPerfect. I'm not even joking. No, I knew that, yeah. Kelly, yeah. Can you do something about that? You're a New York guy. All I, can, all I can do is moan. I'm good at that. <laughs> all right, Josh, let's ask you one last question, and then we'll wrap things up here. So okay. from a broader standpoint, like you're integrating technology into your office, what are best practices for vetting technology? So I think 
the two standards that you need to look at in bringing technology into a law office is how easily can you walk away from it, which is kind of an odd question. But you have to think in terms of decades when it comes to storing legal information. Yeah. So how easy can I walk away from it? And what's the output with which I walk away? So I'm a big believer now in that legal technology should be looking at ISO standards for the storing and processing of information, which fortunately is actually really great for lawyers. It's stuff we're already working with right now. Um, that means you need to be using um, Word, uh, Microsoft Office's XML standard for Word documents. You need to be using PDFs. You cannot be storing something in proprietary formats anymore. If you're hitting those two notes, you're better than I would say 90% of the lawyers out there who have decades of material they can't access and will come yeah. back to bite them when the eventual malpractice suit comes in. Heather, um, maybe you can tie the room together for us a little bit. Is there a possibility in the future that we see these branded networks standardizing tech across many, 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 many lawyers at a time? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And so we're building out technology as well. Um, as I mean, it really is standardizing. We're trying to standardize the industry. And I think that what you'll see is whoever can get the most volume, which means whoever can drive the most customers, the systems that they're using will increasingly become the standardized systems, um, adding in, you know, in terms of things like practice insurance as well. But uh, you know, maybe you'll see the big platforms starting to acquire legal technology companies that are sort of struggling and, and, and adopting John, that technology. John, you seem to agree. Oh yeah, I absolutely do. And thank you for calling me from the Beatles name, John. But, Josh, you uh, seem to. We actually are working name. with. It's, 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 uh, my name tag was right in front of his eyes. It's, uh, I view that as a compliment. We actually do integrate John, with some Josh branded networks out there right now. We're always open to integrating with more and helping become one of the standards of legal technology. As a guy whose entire career is based on his ability to do well on standardized tests, I'm all for standardization. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's some good stuff right there. And, yeah. and you need a new drink, so I think we should wrap this up. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. We've reached the end of the program. I want to thank our guests, my co-host, Ellie Mistel. So our guest today, Heather John of Lago, Joshua Lennon of uh, Clio who stuck around, unlike Susan Cartier-Liebel of Solo Practice University. <laughs> so now that you two have stuck around, Heather, let us know how we can find out more about LawGo. Sure, you can go to our website, which is LawGo, L-A-W-G-O dot co, C-O, it rhymes. And if people want to follow up with you, how should they do that? I am all over the interweb. So I'm at uh, Heather D. John, J-O-H-N, on Twitter. And uh, you can always email me at hjohn at lawgo co. Josh, how about Clio? How do people find Clio on the web? Clio is very easy to find. Uh, we're probably a member benefit on your bar association's website, so you can find us there. Or you can go straight to our website, which is clio.com, C-L-I-O.com. You can find me on the interwebs as well. So I'm all about Twitter. It's at Joshua Lennon. That's L-E-N-O-N. Uh, and I can also be found on LinkedIn, or you can just email me at joshua at clio.com. Not John Lennon. Not let's, John Lennon. Let's be clear. <laughs> distant, distant, distant relation. I'm in we, the yellow pages under Big Daddy E. I wish I'd start getting confused with like Heather Locklear or Heather Graham now. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be great. All right. I say it's time to wrap this puppy up. This has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm your host, Jared Correa, normally of the Legal Toolkit. Until next time, thanks for listening. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.